Well, hey, it's great to be here with you guys today. Uh, excited to be a part of what's going on here at Christ Community. Uh, get a chance to uh, introduce our new series this summer called Tattered Covers. And what we're doing is we're taking a little bit of time to look at the Old Testament, to look at some of the stories and some of the people and, and some of the experiences that they had. I think a lot of times we naturally kind of disassociate ourselves from the Old Testament. You know, it was a long time ago, kind of irrelevant to my life. But what's so amazing is you see people who experience brokenness, and situations that really aren't that different from 5,000 plus years later. We're going to look at a guy today that many of us are familiar with, whether you've been in church for a long time or you haven't. We're going to look at a guy named Moses. When I say Moses, I immediately think of a man's man. You know, I have this picture of Charlton Heston in my mind. If you're over 25, you know what I'm talking about. This man's man with this incredible beard and uh, this guy who's just, you know, burly and, and uh, just an incredible man. You know, I like, to, I like to think of myself as a man's man. Generally, when people say that, I like to think of myself as. It's generally not true. But, you know, I like to think of myself as a man's man. I, I know there's a lot of people in this church, like KJ. You know, when I moved to Colorado, he's this avid hunter, you know. And he actually, like, eats bugs before he goes on hunts to change, like, his body odor to be more appealing to nature. But... You know, I know that sounds really manly, but I do manly things too. Matter of fact, the other day I went on a hunt. Uh, you know, I went on a hunt at the mall for, for deals. And uh, I got to be honest with you, I came home with some pretty impressive stuff. Probably better than anything KJ's ever brought home on a hunt. But, you know, I'm not going to compare. My dad invited me to do a, a man thing not too long ago. He, uh, he wanted me to go on a fishing trip with him in San Diego. It was a day and a half boat, 36 hours on this like 25 foot boat with 30 other guys. And, um, you know, I was a little hesitant, but I thought, you know, I, I can do this. And so I fly to San Diego. I said, let's do this, dad. I, I, I go to San Diego and I get on a boat or, or, or we, I get on a plane and I head out to San Diego. I land, my dad takes us out to the dock and uh, I step out of the car with my Nikes and my skinny jeans on, you know, ready to fish. And nobody else looked like me. It was a little bit weird. I get out of the boat, and I mean, I felt like I stepped back into time in a pirate ship. I mean, these guys had like hooks hanging out of their arms. And I mean, there was no manscaping. It was just chest hair everywhere. <laughs> it was impressive. And I got to be honest with you, I was feeling a little insecure at that point. My skinny jeans and my Nikes just seemed like they weren't fitting the bill. So I went inside of the tackle shop. And I did the mature thing and tried to fit in. And, and I bought like this tank top with a dolphin on it or something. I don't know. And, and these like rubber boots, like you're preparing for a flood or something. And, and I walk out of the shop feeling pretty good. Like finally I, I look the part. I look the man part. I'm, 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 I'm playing the role here a little better. And some guy goes, hey, you got a tag on your shirt. Oh, man. So I take the tag off and I come to realize my clothes look brand new. I don't look like I've ever been here before. I kid you not. I go over to where they clean the fish, and there's this bucket full of fish heads. And I just dig my hands in there, and I just start rubbing it all over my shirt, my pants. I start squeezing the blood on the boots, you know. The boots are dripping with blood. I'm feeling ready. I'm feeling ready to, to be on the boat, to be a fisherman. I felt pretty good about myself. We get on the boat, and, um, 
And I remember we're sitting, guys are talking fishing stories, you know, this 5,000 pound fish they caught 10 years ago. And, um, and, and we're, it's getting nighttime and you got to sleep on this boat. And so it's about 11 o'clock at night. Everybody's getting ready to go down to sleep. Got to get up early and fish the next morning. And I go downstairs and they call these bunks. They were actually coffins. They were like two feet tall by five and a half feet long. And it's pitch black. You're sleeping in there. I lay down in there. I'm trying my best to sleep. There's a storm going on, so the boat is going crazy. And there are sounds and smells in this room with 25 guys that just I'm not used to. And so I'm not feeling comfortable already. And then things get worse because the storm is getting worse. These guys have all clearly been on boats their whole life. I haven't. And so I start to feel incredibly sick. And so I, I, I'm like, I better go outside and get some fresh air. So I go outside, I'm on the deck. It's, it's a tiny little boat, there's nowhere to hide. And so all I have is this dolphin tank top and these rubber boots and shorts. It's 40 degrees outside because it's the middle of the night out in the ocean. So I'm freezing cold, I'm shaking, I'm feeling so sick. And before you know it, I'm seasick and I start throwing up like crazy. I am hanging on to the edge of the ship and every time the boat rocks, it's you can get the picture. It's just, it's rough. And I'm out there for five and a half hours by myself, just throwing up, sick, miserable, not knowing if this night was ever going to end. I turned in my man card and said, if this is what it takes, I have no interest. And the next morning, about 5 a.m., guys get up and it's time to fish. Everybody knows I'm out of place. Something's wrong with this dude. We should just throw him in the water like Jonah. That'd be easier. And, and some guy gives me a bottle of water. Within 30 seconds, I puke it back up on him. It was just not a good situation. The only good part about the trip was uh, nobody was catching fish. And the guy who didn't belong there caught a 30-pound tuna. The only problem is the whole time I was reeling it in, everyone's staring at me. And I, I'm telling you, every time I reel, I'm just throwing up the whole time, reeling this fish in, throwing up, reeling this fish in, throwing up. It was rough. You know what's so interesting about that experience for me and really indicative of life? It wasn't so much the sickness that made me miserable. Yeah, the sickness was tough. The sickness was hard. But I I told my wife when I got home, I said, honestly, the worst part was the mental game. When am I going to get off this ship? Am I ever going to feel better? Is this ever going to go away? Should I just jump off the boat and swim for the shore? Should I just call it quits and jump in the water and give up? I mean, it was miserable mentally. This unknown, is this ever going to end? Is this ever going to stop? Am I ever going to get through this? When I put my feet back on dry land, am I going to feel better or not? Because I've been throwing up for 36 hours. Isn't that true about life, though? When, when we have difficult situations and circumstances, when things come that we don't expect, maybe, maybe you get a phone call and it's a diagnosis that you didn't expect about your health. Maybe it's a job situation and you're unsure if you're going to be able to keep the job or not. You don't know if you're going to be able to pay the mortgage anymore. It could be a million things that we experience in this thing called life. I mean, life is full of difficulties. And what makes those difficulties so hard is, is our minds and our emotions. I had a friend who he was going through a difficult situation at work. You know, he knew he was kind of on the rocks with his boss. Things weren't going well. And for two months, he couldn't sleep. 
He was so stressed about whether he was going to be able to pay the bills, take care of his family, pay the mortgage, whether he was going to have to look for a new job. He was consumed with anxiety and fear and worry. Two months later, he actually finally lost his job, and he said it was actually a relief because the two months leading up to that were miserable, so stressed out, so filled with worry and anxiety and fear. I'm guessing you can relate. Life is a succession of unknowns. Every single day, it's a possibility to face something difficult and to not know the outcome. And I've learned, especially lately in life, that how we respond to the unknown is one of the most important things in our life because it's every day. How do you respond to the unknown? We're going to look at a story where Moses and the people that are with him are facing a very difficult circumstance. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know how things are going to pan out. They don't know if things are going to get better, if they're going to make it, if they're going to die. They don't know what's going to happen. And we see really two very different responses to the situation. And I think there's a lot we can learn. Before we jump into the text, I'll give you a little background here. As some of you guys will remember, uh, God came to Moses through a burning bush and he said to Moses, look, I want to use you to help set my, my people free. I want you to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth. I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to tell them, hey, look, you're doing a bad thing. There's a God in the universe who wants you to let his people go and you better do it. It was this task that was scary to Moses and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But ultimately Moses says yes. He goes to Egypt. As many of us know the story, Pharaoh hears from Moses and says, absolutely not. I don't care who your God is. I'm not letting the people go. They're our slaves. They're part of our economy. That's how we work. And God does miraculous thing after miraculous thing. He unleashes 10 plagues on Egypt. And finally, at some point, Pharaoh concedes and says, okay, obviously your God is greater than me. We can't take it anymore. Please just get out of here. God had a desire to take his people, the Israelites, and set them free from slavery to freedom. And he used Moses to help do that. So we pick up the story. They're, they're leaving Egypt at this point. And God has promised them this place that was going to be their home, the promised land. And, and, and during this, this process, as they're leaving Egypt, there's a, a shortcut that they could take. And for some reason, God doesn't have him take that shortcut. He, he says, hey, I got, a, I got a plan here. I don't want you to go that way. I want you to take a different route. But the route that he led them on was a little bit weird. It didn't make a lot of sense. They ended up wandering around in this place where they're stuck between a huge sea and a town that they can't enter. Their backs are against the wall. They've got nowhere to go. And we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 5. It says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. That's a nice way of saying they were our slaves and we need them back. So he made his chariots ready and he took his army with him and he took 600 of his best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. We'll come back to that. The Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Phiharioth and Baal Zephon. 
So what we see here is the Israelites are leaving, okay? They've been rerouted in this interesting direction. They're a little bit confused. They're kind of not sure what's going on, but they have no clue that Pharaoh's changed their minds, changed the, uh, his mind and, and is coming after them. So it actually, what we need to see here is, first of all, Pharaoh has decided our economy is failing. It's only been a few days since the Israelites have left and, and it hits them. Wait a minute, who's going to work? How is our economy going to operate? How are we going to grow crops and build buildings? We can't without these slaves. So he changes his mind. And I know it doesn't sound intimidating that chariots are going out, but back in this time, chariots were the nuclear weapon. Whoever had the most chariots won the war. Whoever had the most chariots won the battle. So what this is telling us is basically Pharaoh was coming out and the, the Israelites were either going to be slaves again or they were going to be murdered. They had zero chance of survival. Now, again, at this point, the Israelites have no idea that Pharaoh's coming after him. So it says here, and I love that the writer put this in here, it says they were marching out boldly, right? I mean, they're coming out of Egypt. They've just been set free from slavery. They've just been told there is a God of the universe who loves us, who wants us to be free, who said we're his people. Did you see what he did to Pharaoh? That was crazy. We have a future, we have hope, we have a land. We're gonna become our own nation. I mean, they're, they're excited. They're on cloud nine. They have just seen God's work and they're a part of it. It's a fun place to be. A lot of times in life though, that lasts about five minutes. And that's kind of what happened to them. They're all excited. They're marching out boldly. And within a couple sentences, really probably within an hour's time, maybe even less, here's what happens in Exodus 14, starting in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said, Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out in the desert to die? What have you done bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to die or to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. I mean, what a 180 within one hour, right? They're marching out boldly. Life is good. Circumstances are good. We have a future, a hope. I'm super excited. Life, life is finally looking like there's something positive coming. And literally within an hour, they are in complete freakout mode. You ever been in that place in life? One phone call, one conversation, one thing pops up and all of a sudden life feels like it's out of control. Man, if you haven't, you must be like two years old. And even my two-year-old thinks life stinks sometimes. But I mean, this is a picture of our lives. No, maybe it's not an actual army chasing after us, but Every day, we have circumstances and challenges and issues and troubles that we have to face. And the truth is, for me, I won't speak for you, but for me, their response looks a lot like mine. I can't tell you how many nights I sit at home, stressed out, worried, filled with anxiety because something happened that day and I'm not sure how I'm gonna face it. I'm not sure how it's gonna work itself out. I don't know if things are gonna get better. I don't know if the relationship's ever gonna improve. I don't know if the health issue's gonna go away. I don't know if this, this deal that I'm working on is gonna pan out. And so what do I do? I stress. I worry, 
I'm filled with fear and anxiety. And what the sad part is, this is just a pattern. Most everybody I know, we go through this. And I got to tell you, it's exhausting. This kind of life is so exhausting. And I keep telling myself, there's got to be a better way than letting the ups and downs of life totally rule my emotions and my mind. The Israelites, I mean, they're, they're freaking out. They see an army coming after them. And what do they do? They, they start the fear, the worry, the anxiety. They actually start doing what we do. And that is they start creating scenarios that never even exist, right? What happens when, when we get a diagnosis? We go on Dr. Google and Dr. Google tells us all the things that could be wrong. And we start going down all these rabbit trails and all these possibilities. If I lose the job and then I can't pay the mortgage, then I'm foreclosed, then I'll never buy a house again. And then my kids are, right? That's what we do. And they're doing that here. What they're saying, they said, you know, to Moses, they said, didn't we tell you leave us in Egypt? No, no, you didn't tell them that. <laughs> you never said that. Actually, you said, please deliver us, rescue us. But what does worry and fear and anxiety do? It, it takes us to places that aren't even real, right? We start thinking about things that'll never happen. I do it all the time. And what's amazing to me about this response is that Moses is with them. They're about a million to two million Jews. So this is a big group of people. And Moses is with them. He sees everything happening right along the same time. And so Moses, he sees the army. He sees the people freaking out. And before we go into his response, I want to give you a little background on Moses. Because it would be easy for us to say, yeah, Moses responds that way because he's like God's superhero, you know? He's Moses. He's Charlton Heston, for goodness sake. So it would be easy for us to dismiss his response and say, yeah, but that's only for super spiritual people. Moses, when, when God appeared to Moses, he appeared to him as a burning bush, which, which would freak me out. But he appeared to him as his burning bush, and he, he says, Moses, I want you to come. I want you to help set my people free, like we talked about. Now, what I didn't tell you is that at the time, Moses wasn't really in good standing with society, let alone God. Moses was just in Egypt recently, actually. And he lost his temper and he murdered somebody. So God's coming to this guy and says, hey, you're, you're my guy. I'm choosing you. I want you to come to the most powerful man in the world. He knows everything you've done, but it's okay. I want you to come to the most powerful man in the world. Moses goes, wait a minute. Do you, do you know what I did? I, I'm, I'm a murderer. I'm actually on... on I got a warrant out for my arrest. You probably don't want to send me back to Egypt representing you. And God says, yeah, I know exactly what you've done. I know exactly what you've been through. And Moses goes, but that's not it. I got more problems too. He's like, yeah, yeah, trust me, I know. <laughs> but Moses walked with God and he saw God's faithfulness and he saw God do amazing things through this journey of no credit to Moses, God decides to use him. You know, when I stand on the stage, I'll tell you my biggest difficulty in coming up here and speaking to you is I'm, I'm not perfect. I, I, I make a lot of mistakes. I do a lot of dumb things. 
I fail all the time. And I think a lot of times we, we, we look up on the stage or we look at somebody who's doing something, you know, super spiritual in our minds and we think, well, they've got it together. You know, that's why they can respond that way. That's why they can say things that way. No, I don't. <laughs> I certainly don't have it together. But for some reason, God chooses to use us in our brokenness to do things, to join with his story. Maybe you're here today, you feel unqualified. You probably haven't murdered anybody. And so God, God says, I'm going to use you, Moses. And, and, he, and Moses sees God's faithfulness. And, and so here's Moses' response. The people are freaking out. They're filled with fear and anxiety. They don't know what's going to happen. All they can do is think, I'd rather just go back and be slaves again. I'd rather just give up. I'd rather just, just turn in the keys to freedom and say, look, put me back in prison, prison because this looks too scary for me. Moses sees the exact same thing and says this, Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now we're going to talk about this for a little bit. What's so amazing to me is Moses hasn't heard the plan yet. He doesn't know the Red Seas are about to part and the land's about to be dry and they're going to have an incredible escape. He has no clue. And yet he looks at a couple million people. Imagine if you were in charge of a couple million people and there are nuclear weapons coming at them. Would your response be, hey, don't be afraid, guys. I know we don't have weapons, but it's all good. Probably not. But that's Moses's response. He says, look, you guys just chill out with the fear. His first comment is addressing their reaction to the unknown. The reaction to the unknown, like we talked about, is fear, it's anxiety, it's worry, just like we do. And Moses says, look, the first, first thing we got to do is we got to slow down with the mind, the racing, all this stuff. It sounds really similar to something Jesus said in Matthew chapter six. And, and this has always baffled me, but it's, it's really powerful. Jesus is talking to some people who are concerned about what's going to happen. They're concerned about the unknown. They're concerned about whether things are going to work out or not. And Jesus says to him, he says, therefore, I tell you in Matthew chapter six, verse 25, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. So you go, okay, I get it. He's saying not to worry about little stuff. Like, am I going to get the raise or not? That's just a little thing. No big deal. No, no, no. He breaks it down. He says, even the most important things in life, he says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. In other words, your health. Don't worry about my health. Why would Jesus say this? Why is Moses saying this to these people? But you really, when you really stop for a minute, what Jesus ends up saying here and and I'll explain. What Jesus is saying here is, look, the birds, they don't have savings accounts. They don't have checking accounts and they've got food they're taken care of. How much more do you think God in heaven cares for you? What Jesus is saying is like, this is about trust. And then he says, look, and even if you decide that you can't trust God, 
Even if you decide that you're not sure if you can trust God because things haven't always gone your way. He says, even then at the very end, he says, can any one of you add an hour to your life by worry? He was way ahead of his time scientifically because scientifically we actually find that actually you take hours off of your life by worrying, right? Studies show that stress and anxiety lead to heart disease and all kinds of other things. So he says, look, even if you don't want to trust God, worry doesn't work. Worry and stress and anxiety will do you no good. And that's what Moses is saying. You guys stop. You're not accomplishing anything. You're actually backtracking. It's so hard to do because it's my natural, my natural reaction. When I start facing the unknown, man, I, I start worrying. I'm fearful. And, and then Jesus says to us at the very end, and this is important for you to hear. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And the reason I read that to you is because I don't want you leaving here thinking, oh, I don't have to worry because I'm a Christian and I'll never have bad circumstances. Jesus is not making a case that we shouldn't worry because life will always be easy. One of the things of, about my faith at times is I felt like there were too many easy answers, you know? If I, I just shouldn't worry because everything is going to be fine. It's, it's not always going to be fine. Jesus says here that, hey, each day has enough trouble of its own. And the reason I say that to you is because not worrying has nothing to do with things working out good. It's the fact that Jesus know that, knows that worrying will do you no good, regardless of the outcome. We're just hurting ourselves. It's that pattern we talked about, this emotional life up and down. So I worry, I stress, I lose sleep, I can't. He's saying, don't live that life. And Moses, he, he responds and he says, first of all, you guys don't worry. And then he says something to him that I'm going to explain a little bit. He says, do not be afraid. And then he says, stand firm. What does he mean stand firm? Ultimately, what he's saying here is that's the exact opposite of worry, okay? This is where it gets really interesting to me and it really convicts me in my own life. Moses is looking at the same situation they are, okay? And what he sees is he sees Pharaoh coming after them, Pharaoh getting ready to conquer them, take them back as slaves. But for some reason, he says, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Matter of fact, just stand firm. See, be confident. Don't backtrack. Don't retreat. Be confident. What is he saying? He's saying, have faith. Trust God. What? That doesn't make any sense. But here's what's so amazing. Let's think about this from a logical perspective. And this is the same thing in our own lives. If you're the Israelites, okay, you're one of the, the couple million people that are there. Remember what you've just been through for the last, who knows, year of your life. You have been in slavery with no hope, no future. All of a sudden, this God shows up and says, I love you. I want to set you free. I want to set you free from the slaves, slavery. And they're going, yeah, right. 
There is no one greater than Pharaoh. No one greater than Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the greatest in the world. And all of a sudden, this God does supernatural things. He does plague after plague, and Pharaoh says, no way, and God wins again. And Pharaoh says, no way, and God does something again. All the way to the point where the most powerful man in the world goes, you know what, your God's greater than me. I'm gonna let you go. Not only that, I'm gonna give you treasures on the way out because I just need you to leave. I mean, they've just seen God do incredible, supernatural, crazy things. When you think about it, the logical reaction should have been, Pharaoh's got a few screws loose, man. Does he not remember what God just did to him last time? Is he serious? This is crazy. Who does this guy think he is? Time after time after time, God showed up. I mean, that would have been the logical response. It's to step back and go, let me take account for a moment of what we've just been through. God got us through. God was faithful, you guys. You remember? Something was wrong with Pharaoh. He is a glutton for punishment. This is crazy. But in our own lives, how often are we doing the same thing? You know how many times I've sat at home and stressed about money over and over and over and over? And how many times has God got me through whatever I'm facing? Over and over and over and over. I mean, imagine for a moment if you just stopped and instead of the natural reaction, which is worry and fear and anxiety, what's gonna happen? I don't know, rabbit trail, rabbit trail. Oh, I'm losing it and go, hold on for a second, I'm just gonna stand here and I'm gonna focus on the faithfulness of God. Oh yeah, remember when he had that, that health scare? Oh yeah, remember when God got us through this? Remember when we were facing that thing that seemed insurmountable and God showed up? Maybe it wasn't exactly like you thought it should be. I'm sure the Israelites didn't expect God to show up by parting seas and drying ground. Maybe the path out of your trouble wasn't exactly what you thought it was or what you hoped for, but how many times has God showed up and seen you through whatever you're facing? I'm guessing if we just said, hey, let's all stand up and tell stories, we'd be here for weeks. What if the more logical response to the unknown was actually to stand firm? Do I really have a worried reason to worry and be afraid? God got me through last time. It was hard. It was painful, but I'm still standing. I thought that last mountain was insurmountable. And what happened? God got me through it. Imagine if that's how we face the unknown. How much would that change your experience of life? And really, isn't it the warranted response? Even if things haven't always gone your way, we can look at the cross and know that God is faithful. And then Moses caps it off with something really cool and we'll, we'll wrap it up right here. But he stops with something really cool. He, he says, first of all, we gotta stop with the fear, okay? Secondly, we gotta stand firm. We gotta remember God's faithful. He's seen us through before. He'll see us through again. We'll get through it. And then he says this, he makes this statement. He says, I'll read, I'll read two different translations. But he says, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Other, other translations say, and watch for the salvation of the Lord. 
This has been really important for me as of late. Explain what Moses is saying here. You know, the people, what were they doing? They were standing there staring at what? The Egyptians. Their whole focus was their problem. The whole time, all they're doing is staring at the problem that's facing them. I got this problem. I don't know how I'm going to fix it. So I'm just going to keep staring at this problem and hope that someday it might go away. And that's exactly what I do, right? I, I stress and obsess about the problem. How am I going to fix it? What am I going to do about it? And Moses, he does something amazing here. His perspective, he's not looking at the problem. He's looking at the provider. He's not sitting here stressing and being overwhelmed with what, what's in front of him, the problem he's facing. Instead, what he says, you guys, just wait, just wait. This is going to be so cool. Because remember how God's shown up before? Just wait and watch. Watch, he's going to do it again. When's the last time you were going through something challenging, something unknown? When's the last time you said, you know what, I'm going to stop focusing on the issue and I'm going to start saying, okay, God, man, I, I can't wait to see how you're going to fix this. Man, I can't wait to see how you're going to use this, how you're going to show up, how you're going to provide for me in the midst of this trouble. Moses wasn't staring at the problem. Instead of stressing about tomorrow, he was focused on the one who holds tomorrow in his hand. I mean, is that how you face the unknown? Because you can. You can. You have even more so the ability than Moses. This whole story about the Red Sea is not so much about being set free from Egypt. It's a bigger story. There's more to it. Lately, I've been asking myself this question, you know, I've been trying to say, hey, when I'm, when I'm focused on my problem, when all I'm doing is thinking about the issues before me, I want to start stepping back, standing firm, and I want to start looking for God in the midst of my issues. And so I, I've been doing this a little bit more, and it was really cool. A couple years ago, I hired a guy uh, to work with one of my businesses and um, oversee some construction crews. And... Uh, he said to me first thing, he knew that I was involved in church stuff. And he said, I just want to make sure you know right off the bat that I'm not a God guy. I said, hey, all right, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to push anything on you. And uh, so we've had a relationship for a couple years. And about six months ago, maybe a little more, I got a phone call. And um, he calls me and he says, hey, uh, do you have a couple minutes to talk? I said, yeah, sure, what's going on? He said, well... I know that you have seizures, and um, this is crazy, but my daughter started having seizures, and I don't know what to do. I'm freaking out, man. Can you help me? Can you talk to me? Uh, of course, you know, I'll do anything I can, and I begin to share my story with him and my family and the things that we've been through and, and how God has seen us through circumstances and situations. and. And he didn't say it on the phone, but he, he texted me a couple of days later and said, hey, you know I'm not a God guy, right? He wanted to make sure he said that first. He said, but I know for the first time in my life that there's certainly a God. Because he put us together and he's blessed me so much by knowing you and having you walk through, through this with me. Wow. You know how easy it would have been for me to miss that? And if, 
If my circumstance is simply to help this family come to know Jesus, I'm all in. What if when you were going through the unknown and you didn't know what was going to happen next, what if your focus was, I can't wait to see what God's going to do? Wow. Wow, God, help me. Help me to do that. This story, you know, of the crossing of the Red Sea, it's a picture of the gospel. These are people who were slaves with a death sentence on their life. They had no hope, no future. And of no credit of their own, a God shows up. What's so interesting to me is that in Hebrews, it says, by faith, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. Really? That didn't look like a lot of faith to me. But by faith, they crossed the Red Sea. You know how the end of the story goes? God shows up. He says, hey, Moses, put your stick up in the air and I'm going to do something really cool. And God parts the Red Seas. Not only does he part the Red Seas, but he says he dried the ground. They don't have to walk in mud. And you know what their by faith moment was? Just walking across the dry ground so they didn't get killed. Is this all about a rescue from the Red Sea? No, this is about a God who wants to take you from slavery, a death sentence, and cross this sea to life and freedom and hope and joy. We have a Red Sea and his name is Jesus. Nothing you can do. This life is not about a promised land. See, they thought that this life was about a promised land. Once we get to the perfect circumstance, guys, things are gonna be awesome. And we find this is actually a journey of trusting God over and over again. And even when they get to this promised land, they're not happy. The point of this life is not to find a perfect set of circumstances. And if I just have great health and good finances and, and this falls into place, life's going to be good. No, it's not. Not if your life isn't about Jesus. Man, Lord. Help us to respond to the unknown like Moses. Let's pray together. Jesus, I know it's just sometimes easier to talk about things than to actually do them. I know that in this room, there are probably many of us going through things that seem insurmountable. And in no way do we want to make light of the struggles because life is hard. Every day seems like a battle at times. So Jesus, we, we, we just need your supernatural help. Meet us in the midst of our brokenness, Jesus in the midst of the unknown. Why don't you just take a minute? I'm sure it won't be hard, but for all of us, is there something in your life that feels like an insurmountable issue? Something that you're stressing about, you're worrying about, you're afraid of, you're, you're losing sleep at night because you just don't know how it's gonna turn out. Think about that thing for a moment. And I just want to encourage you as you, you think about that to remember what Moses did. We got to take the worry, 
the fear. And we got to release it. We got to say, hey, look, we got a heavenly father who knows what we need. He loves us. He's faithful. So I'm just going to put my worries, my cares, I'm going to place them on him. Because worry is not going to help the situation. So this is more than just a, a one moment experience. This is a daily journey. But, but for just a moment, could you do that? Could you stop the rabbit trails? And just say, I'm going to hand this over to Jesus. And as you do that, in that moment, you kind of embrace this other response, which is, God, I want to take stock. I want to remember all the things I've seen you do, whether it's in my life or someone else's life. I want to remember your faithfulness. And you can stand firm and trust in God. First of all, because of the cross, we know he's faithful. But I'm guessing there are many experiences in your life that God has seen you through. And sometimes to get us through the current circumstance, we've got to remember God's got you through before. He will see you through again. It may not look like you think. It may not be the way you think. But he's gotten you through before and he'll get you through again. My prayer for all of you is, is, as we spend some time worshiping is that you could set your eyes on Jesus. Somehow we could take our eyes off the problem, stop obsessing about the circumstance and start looking for God to show up, expecting God to show up. Jesus, we need you. Reveal yourself to us in the midst of our brokenness and our circumstances and our unknowns. Let us see you. Lord, I pray that you'd meet every person. You know where their hearts are. You know what they need. Let's stand together and spend some time reflecting on the faithfulness of God as we worship.